you all ready to hear some boring and repetitive stuff? This is going to be great. Welcome back to Reading and Evaluating the Demand Brothers. You know, the guys that responded to the liberalizing and modernizing of the Roman Catholic Church by saying, Sede Vacante, and proceeding to make the most hardcore, graceless, Christless, ugly version of Roman Catholicism that I have ever seen in my entire life. Those Demand Brothers. Now, today we're going to be looking at their chapter entitled, The Bible Teaches Confession to a Priest. Now, the Bible does teach confession. St. James tells us to confess our sins to one another. Uh, 1 John 1, 8 and 9 promises forgiveness for those who confess. But does the Bible teach going to the confessional, crossing yourself, saying, Forgive me, Father, for I have sinned, and then waiting to get your... Uh, Assigned penance according to the flowcharts that they've got. No. But they're going to claim that. Many non-Catholics think that confession to a priest is not taught in the Bible. According to them, to be forgiven of even serious sins, one must simply believe in Jesus, or at the most, confess those sins directly to God. However, this position, that confession to a priest is not necessary for serious, i.e. mortal sins after baptism, contradicts what is taught in the Bible. Ah, yet another example of the Demond brothers not knowing what Lutheranism is, where we retained private confession to a pastor, and we have confession at the beginning of every single church service. Hmm... Really makes you think. Maybe these guys just don't get out very much. Anyway, here is their case, though, that you got to do it the RCC way, you see. In the Old Testament, one had to go to the priest to be forgiven. If one committed a sin in the Old Testament, he couldn't just confess the sin to God and be done with the matter. No, he had to go to the priest. This is taught throughout the book of Leviticus, one of the first books in the Old Testament. Here's a good example of this. Leviticus 5, verses 1 through 10. And if a soul sin, dot, 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 when he shall be guilty in one of these things, dot, 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 he shall confess that he hath sinned in that thing, dot, 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 and he shall bring his trespass offering unto the Lord for his sin, which he hath sinned, dot, dot, dot. And he shall bring them unto the priest, who shall offer that which is for the sin offering first, dot, dot, dot. And the priest shall make an atonement for him, for his sin which he hath sinned, and it shall be forgiven him. Now, don't you find it funny that they use a lot of dot, dot, dots there? They did that last time when trying to claim that John 3.16 didn't mean what it said in order to deceive you. They said, ah... We are saved or damned according to our works. And then they left out the part where Jesus says people are damned because they don't trust in Jesus. See, the DeMond brothers are scared that if they put the entirety of the context there, maybe, just maybe, you won't become a rad trad set of a contest. Let's take a look at the actual context of Leviticus 5 verses 1 through 10. 
If anyone sins in that he hears a public adjuration to testify, and though he is a witness, whether he has seen or come to know the matter, yet does not speak, he shall bear his iniquity. Or, if anyone touches an unclean thing, whether a carcass of an unclean wild animal, or a carcass of unclean livestock, or a carcass of unclean swarming things, and it is hidden from him, and he has become unclean, and he realizes his guilt, or if he touches human uncleanness, of whatever sort the uncleanness may be, with which one becomes unclean, and it is hidden from him, when he comes to know it, and realizes his guilt, or if anyone utters with his lips a rash oath to do evil or to do good, any sort of rash oath that people swear, and it is hidden from him, when he comes to know it and he realizes his guilt in any of these, when he realizes his guilt in any of these and confesses the sin he has committed, he shall bring to the Lord as his compensation for the sin that he has committed a female from the flock, a lamb or a goat, for a sin offering, and the priest shall make atonement for him for his sin." But if he cannot afford a lamb, then he shall bring to the Lord as his compensation for the sin that he has committed two turtle doves or two pigeons, one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. He shall bring them to the priest who shall offer first the one for the sin offering. He shall wring its head from its neck, but shall not sever it completely. And he shall sprinkle some of the blood of the sin offering on the side of the altar, while the rest of the blood shall be drained out at the base of the altar." It is a sin offering. Then he shall offer the second for a burnt offering, according to the rule, and the priest shall make atonement for him for the sin that he has committed, and he shall be forgiven. Wow! So the DeMond brothers want to say, Ah, you see, there was confession to priests, while conveniently leaving out the part where things had to die for you to receive absolution. They also want to talk about this being for mortal sins. Let's see how the book of Leviticus handles mortal sins. Let's take a look at adultery from Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10. If a man commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be going to the priest for confession, doing their penance, and thus be forgiven. Sorry, it doesn't say that. It says, If a man commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. It didn't matter if you were confessing the sin. If you did the thing, the law says, No mercy, you're going to die, pal. So it's really weird for the DeMond brothers to cite a completely merciless covenant in order to say that this new covenant we're under is full of mercy. But you see, for the DeMond brothers, they really, really, really want to say that the new covenant is here for, like, no reason at all, right? According to them, Jesus just died as, like, a down payment on forgiveness. But the rest of it's all, it's all just law, man. It's just law, 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 law. No grace whatsoever. In this passage... We see that the priest's role was indispensable for the forgiveness of sin. This is taught throughout the book of Leviticus and the other foundational books of the Old Testament. Uh, The forgiveness of some sin, not all sin. If you committed a mortal sin, or a sin that was just so bad, you see, according to the DeMond brothers' definition of mortal sin, you just die. You just get executed. Don't, Don't go to... Go, don't collect $200, 
go straight to die. They don't want you to think about that one too hard, do they? But moving right along, one had to go to the priest to become clean. Not only did one have to go to the priest to be forgiven of sins, as these and other passages make clear, but also to become clean. In the Old Testament, people would become unclean after having done certain things which God said made a person unclean. To become clean, the priest would have to be involved. Jesus makes reference to this in Luke 5. You know, Luke 5, 13 and 14, Go and show thyself to the priest, and offer for thy cleansing according to as Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. Uh, that's Leviticus 12, Leviticus 13, Leviticus 14. True, uh, this is why there are rabbis that do panty inspection for young girls to make sure they're done with their period. Rabbinical panty inspection. Demand brothers approved. I guess they secretly wish that Roman Catholic priests would do that too, since they don't really see much of a difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, and uh, they think that the public health and safety function of the Levitical orders is uh, apparently something that needs to happen today. God had priests. God had a priesthood. God reconciled people through priests. Now some might say, that was the Old Testament. Like me, what about in the New Testament after Jesus has come? We will see that the New Testament teaches confession to a priest, but these points from the Old Testament are important to consider first because they demonstrate how God works and how he has worked throughout salvation history. God had priests. God set up a priesthood. God forgives and reconciles people through priests. People had to go to the priests to be forgiven. Or to have a death sentence passed upon them, yes. Um, I'm sure that they will forget that there's a different priesthood order that modern day pastors are under. We'll get to that. They cite Numbers 3.10, Thou shalt appoint Aaron and his sons, and they shall wait on their priest's office. Numbers 3.3, Phineas the son of Eliezer, behold, he shall have it, and his seed after him, even the covenant of an everlasting priesthood, because he was zealous for his God. Okay. Deuteronomy 17.9 and 24.8, uh, the necessity to follow the instructions of the priests. Deuteronomy 26.1 through 5, offering the first fruits to the priest. Okay, yep, that's what people had in the Old Testament. That is how God operated for the children of Israel under the Old Covenant. Numbers 5 on the necessity to confess sins. In Numbers 5, 6, and 7, we see that the people are to confess sins. Numbers 5, 6, and 7, When a man or woman shall commit any sin that men commit uh, to do a trespass against the Lord, that that person be guilty, then they shall confess their sin which they have done. Dot, dot, dot. You gotta ask, what are the Demond brothers leaving out? Because they always do this. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the people of Israel when a man or woman commits any of the sins that people commit by breaking faith with the Lord, and that person realizes his guilt, he shall confess his sin that he has committed, and he shall make full restitution for his wrong, adding a fifth to it, and giving it to him to whom he did the wrong. But if the man has no next of kin to whom restitution may be made for the wrong, 
The restitution for wrong shall go to the Lord for the priest, in addition to the ram of atonement with which atonement is made for him. In every contribution, all the holy donations of the people of Israel, which they bring to the priest, shall be his. Each one shall keep his holy donations. Whatever anyone gives to the priest shall be his. Okay. So a sin tax. If you commit a sin, you make restitution to the person that you harmed, but you also have to not only give your burnt offering for absolution, you also have to pay a sin tax of 20%. Wow. So I'm surprised that these guys aren't using that as something that the Roman Catholic Church, I'm sure, would absolutely love if every single sin you could possibly confess came with a dollar amount that you had to pay in order to be forgiven. Hmm, maybe the DeMond brothers don't want you reading this and going, oh my goodness, am I so glad that I'm not in the old covenant. But their point has been made that yes, you can go to a member of the pastoral office, confess your sins, and he is required to pronounce absolution to you. Now, not in the way that they would want you to do it. They want you to go through official channels, you see, even though James 5.16 tells you to confess your sins one to another. One of the perks of a universal priesthood of all believers is that all believers on some level have the power of the keys. But for good order in the church, we usually select a pastor or a priest to do that job for people. Especially because he, according to his office, can be told, Hey buddy, you got a seal of silence. You do not go around blabbing about the sin that I'm confessing to you. But the fun part is, when you're the DeMond brothers, you're a Judaizer. And you want everything in the Mosaic Law to more or less be translated to the Christian. It's all law, 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 baby. If you want to be saved, you got to do the law, law, law. It's just going to look a little different. Now, this is something important. Any time you decide to go full demand, brothers, and make an extremist group or whatever in response to your liberalizing denomination abandoning you, you will be a Judaizer. And I don't care if you are a Protestant that is rebelling against a Protestant denomination, liberalizing and abandoning them. If you go full demand, brothers, if you are not careful in what you do, you will end up functionally denying sola fide as you go about Judaizing everything. But more examples of this as they talk about uh, how priests wear vestments. Exodus and Leviticus teach that priests are to wear special garments, vestments. In Exodus 28 verses 1 through 3, we read about the office of priests and that the priests wear special garments. Exodus 28, 1 through 3, Take thou unto the Aaron thy brother and his sons with him, dot, 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 that he may minister unto me in the priest's office, dot, 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 and thou shalt make holy garments for Aaron, dot, 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 that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him, that he may minister unto me in the priest's office. We read the same in Leviticus 16, 32. And the priest whom he shall anoint shall make the atonement, and shall put on the linen clothes, even the holy garments. Guess what, demand brothers? That is Mosaic law. 
That is not new covenant reality. If you say priests or pastors have to vest because of how the old covenant operated, you are a Judaizer trying to push the law on people. The problem with the Judaizers was that they came to St. Paul and they came to Christians in the first century telling everybody that all Jesus did on the cross was make sure that Gentiles could convert to Judaism. That's what he really died for. But if you really want to go to heaven, you've got to be circumcised, you've got to offer up all the offerings from the law, you've got to do all this stuff and basically become a Jew in order to be saved. It's, it's different a little bit because you're still a Gentile, you're a second-class citizen, and a few of the things are going to be different. But ultimately, that's what this is all about. Apparently, for the Demondra brothers, they agree Jesus just died so that all the stuff in the Old Testament just looks different now. Maybe you don't sacrifice a turtle dove, but you do gotta pay some, uh, pay some money there, bud. Maybe you don't have a public health official uh, doing panty inspection for your women, but you still gotta go to a priest to declare you clean, man. It's the same thing. Don't believe me? Do you think I'm misrepresenting them? Uh-uh. <laughs> you see, they teach immediately after, Leviticus teaches that there are certain special feasts, holy days of obligation. Talking about the feast days from Leviticus, right? There is no doubt that God set up a priesthood. God established it so that men were reconciled, forgiven, and made clean through the ministry of priests. That was how God worked in the old law. What about in the new? Before we get to that, do you understand their argumentation? You gotta celebrate the feast day of St. Joseph, pal, because the church says so, and guess what? In the Old Testament, they had feast days, so now you have it. God wanted you to be all about that mosaic law. It just looks a little bit different and has a lot more rules to it. <laughs> Not only do you have the 639 or whatever commandments from the Mosaic Law, no, nowadays you also got all these uh, official canon laws that you got to study or else you're not a very good Catholic. And we have a lot more feast days for you to observe, alright? So you should probably go to Mass every single day. But regarding the New Covenant, Jesus came not to destroy the law but to fulfill. He instituted a priesthood. Going from Matthew 5, verses 17 and 18, Jesus said, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Jesus came not to destroy the law and the prophets, but to fulfill. There is no doubt that the new law surpasses the old. It surpasses it so much that it makes it obsolete. Jesus accomplished all the figures and prophecies in the old law. He made a new and more perfect covenant, rendering the old thereby void. Hebrews 8.13 Yeah, but your church, apparently, Mr. Demond, holds that the new law is just the old law repackaged and more differenty looking. You're still more than happy to tell people to eat fish on Fridays, right? Because I guess new dietary restrictions just made up by mankind are going to be far better than the dietary restrictions of the Mosaic Law. Is that really what Jesus died for, guys? 
Did Jesus die so that you could be just a different kind of Mosaic Covenant believer? Did he really decide that the old law would be so typologically connected to the new covenant that everything's there, it just looks a little different and you don't have to get bloody all the time? Is it really the case that everything has to be a copy of what it was? No. No. See, if we admitted that, we would have to throw out the entirety of the book of Galatians, which says, For freedom Christ has set you free. Jesus did not die for you and rise from the grave so that your religion could become diet Judaism. Now, to be fair, the DeMond brothers have a little bit of a point when they say that the New Covenant has some similarities to the Old Covenant. However, they call it the New Law because they are uh, forked-tongued demon teachers. The New Law has similarities to the Old Law being its fulfillment. For example, in the Old Testament, there were 12 tribes with 12 tribal leaders, and Moses had 70 elders. Likewise, in the New Testament, Jesus had 12 apostles and 70 other disciples, as we see in Luke 10. Another example would be how Jesus inherits the throne of David, as we see in Luke 1 verse 32 and Acts 2 verse 30. Jesus and his spiritual kingdom, his church, fulfill what was prefigured in the earthly kingdom of the Davidic monarchy. Sure, but it doesn't look exactly the same. They're taking typology, extending it far beyond what it should be, drawing conclusions that the Bible does not draw for you, and then they say that this means you call the new covenant the new law, because Jesus is just the new Moses to you, don't you see? So when we pass all these control freak regulations and we tell you that you got to earn your salvation according to this uh, weird paper clips and rubber band systems of merit that we've instituted, it's the same thing, don't you see? It's not a different dynamic. It's just different manifestations. Uh, no, that's demon talk. That's a totally different gospel. As St. Paul says in Galatians 1, that's accursed. They can point to as many little parallels as they want, like the laying on of hands or 12 apostles, 70 disciples, but they forget that it is not according to the Mosaic priesthood that pastors are ordained. It is the Melchizedek priesthood, because our Lord Christ is high priest after the order of Melchizedek, not Moses. Jesus gives the apostles the power to forgive sins. Yep. And St. James says that that uh, applies to all believers, as he tells us to confess our sins to one another. It is normative to have a pastor doing that for good order. As son of man, Jesus had power on earth to forgive sins, and he can and did transfer that power to others. Yes, like us. St. Paul says that priests reconcile men to God in Christ's place. So I St. Paul, who was made a priest and bishop in the church, says this, 2 Corinthians 5, 18-20, God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, dot, dot, dot. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. 
we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. Now before we read on, what's the dot 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 there for? Permit me to be the guy that reads the parts of the Bible that the Demond brothers don't want you to read. Here is 2 Corinthians 5 verses 18 through 20, right after verse 17 which says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. You see, the Demond brothers want you to think that St. Paul saying that they had the ministry of reconciliation, oh my goodness, that is just such proof positive that he set up a priesthood and gave them alone the power of the keys forever and ever. Amen. But wait a moment. If God is already not counting our trespasses against us, and he entrusts St. Paul and his associates with proclaiming the message of the reconciliation that God already won on the cross then you don't have the message that the DeMond brothers want to tell you. Why can't the DeMond brothers argue their point without editing the Bible, without leaving things out, without taking things out of context? Do they really have such a weak case that they cannot argue for their diet Judaism without doing this? They can't. Especially when they keep saying, oh, Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. Jesus is the new Moses. Look at all these similarities between Old Testament Israel and the new law church. Well, guess what? The book of Hebrews says there is no more sacrifice for sins. There is no more penance to be done. Your sins are forgiven in Christ Jesus. So going to a priest and having to say your Hail Marys or do the stuff they want you to do isn't going to win absolution for you. This is why Lutheran pastors are instructed not to make penance a requirement for forgiveness. There is nothing wrong with claiming that the Mosaic Covenant was in some way a typological reference to the New Covenant Israel, the Church. Fine. It does not extend into having every detail, like having vestments, having satisfactions, etc., having to go specifically to a priest every time you sin in order to be forgiven. Oh, and you ready for the next lie? Jesus gives the apostles the power to bind and to loose sins. Further confirming that the Bible teaches confession to a priest, we see that the apostles were given the power to bind and to loose in Matthew 18, verse 18. Verily I say unto you, Whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Really? Wow! Except that they lied. That passage is not addressed solely to the apostles. How does Matthew 18 start? At that time, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus is addressing all of his followers. 
they restrict Matthew 18, verse 18, where Jesus does not restrict it, so that they can say, this has application to the forgiveness of sins and to the fact that Jesus dispensed his authority to valid bishops and priests in his one true church. The authority that is exercised by priests and bishops must be used under the unique authority of the keys, which were given alone to St. Peter in Matthew 16, verses 18 and 19. They're just lying to you at this point. <laughs> the power of the keys describes the forgiveness of sins, the binding and loosing. The power of the keys is extended to the entirety of the church in Matthew 18. Yes, it is given to St. Peter first. We've been over that. But the problem is here is the DeMond brothers feel the need to lie to you, to make sure that you won't check what the Bible is saying. Who is Jesus talking to? They deceitfully restrict the text because otherwise you won't agree with them. Let's see, then they bring up uh, extreme unction in James chapter 5 verses 14 through 16. They don't realize just how much that hurts their case, especially because St. James says the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that ye may be healed, not necessarily just to a priest. My goodness, did they just drop the ball on that one? But then, of course, because they can't help themselves, they say, the fathers of the ancient church taught confession. The fathers of the church also believed in confession and taught that it was necessary. Their testimony confirms that confession is the true teaching of Jesus Christ and the Bible. Really? So in a book entitled, The Bible Proves the Teachings of the Catholic Church, According to the DeMond brothers, you have to go to the church fathers to confirm the teachings of the Catholic Church as found in the Bible? That's not the Bible proving the doctrines of the Roman Catholic Church. That is circular logic. The church fathers prove the doctrines of the Roman Catholic Church, and the Bible fits in there in the middle somewhere. So they bring up the Didache, Judaizing document. They bring up the letter of Barnabas, probably pseudepigrapha, St. Ignatius of Antioch. He says, To all them that repent, the Lord grants forgiveness. If they turn in penitence to the unity of God and to communion with the bishop. That's not saying go to the confessional and uh, say your Hail Marys. St. Irenaeus against heresies. They bring that up. Uh, okay, Tertullian ended up being a heretic. St. Cyprian of Carthage. Okay, he had his own issues. Origen mutilated his genitals. Chrysostom loved kicking people out of the church and not letting them come back in for several years. <laughs> like if you were caught as a fornicator, Chrysostom wanted you to sit outside of the church for like seven years or whatever before you were allowed to have communion. Not a great example. Let's see here. Uh, St. Jerome says, If the serpent, the devil, bites someone secretly, he infects that person with the venom of sin. And if the one who has been bitten keeps silence and does not do penance and does not want to confess his wound, dot, 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 then his brother and his master, who have the word of absolution, that will cure him, cannot very well assist him. Okay, now you're adding dot, dot, dots and not giving me the full context of the quotes here. They do the same thing with Chrysostom. 
who has said to them, Whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever you shall loose shall be loosed. Dot, 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 priests, dot, 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 can bind with a bond which pertains to the soul itself and transcends the very heavens. Why are you censoring the church fathers that you think are proving your position, demand? All of this proves that the Bible teaches the necessity of confession to a priest. The Catholic Church has always remained faithful to this teaching of the Bible because the Catholic Church is the one true Church of Christ. No, Brother DeMond, all you've done is lie a bunch of times and uh, give us more horrible hermeneutics because you're a Judaizer and you want everybody to follow Diet Judaism. It's ugly and it's disgusting. And if anybody's listening here, if you want to be the same as these guys, go ahead. Just mosey along the path of not caring about whether or not what you say is accurate, whether it is true, not caring. Just decide that you're right and start arguing for it this recklessly. You too can be a Judaizer. Apply today. Actually, no, don't do that, guys. This whole series is a big fat warning against this kind of behavior. For those of us facing the abandonment by leadership in our denominations. If you're faithful and your leaders aren't, please be careful where you tread. Don't be like these guys. And next week we're going to go ahead and address their prayers to the saints nonsense. That'll be fun. No, it won't, but oh well. Until then, our Lord bless you and keep you. Amen and amen. Amen.